0: Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon for Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Waiting is something that's usually difficult for some of us. You may have some friends and you go to a restaurant and if the wait is too long... Maybe the maybe it waits 20 minutes. You spend 20 minutes driving across town to another restaurant when you could have just sat down to the first one and ate after you waited for your seat. Waiting is huge. I have a picture of a Sunday on the board here uh, on the screen. Uh, when I was little, there was this uh, kind of rule in my family. I loved ice cream. I loved hot fudge. I know you can't tell from looking at me, uh, but I loved, I loved hot fudge Sundays. And so there was a rule that I could have a hot fudge Sunday once a year whenever we went on vacation. And so every year at the end of, end of June, the beginning of July, we would go on vacation, and I would get to have a hot fudge Sunday at a big truck stop just south of Louisville on 65. And I would look forward all year to that Sunday. If I, if I was really fortunate... Sometimes we would go to a restaurant at the beginning of vacation before we left home, a restaurant in Hartville, Ohio called Hartville Kitchen. At that time, it was called Dutch Kitchen, but they had to change the name, but that's another story altogether. Um, And once in a while, on maybe that Friday before we left or that Saturday, we'd go to that restaurant and I'd get to have a hot fudge sundae there. And it came in a glass just like the one you see on the screen. And I couldn't wait for that time every year. You think about the things that we wait for. You you find out, maybe you want to have a baby, and you find out you're pregnant. And all of a sudden, you're pregnant, but it's not like, oh, great, we got a baby. It's no, you have to wait. There's some things you have to do. There's showers. There's um, revealings. um, There is getting ready for that baby, maybe getting the nursery together. And you wait for those months, and you wait. And finally, God blesses you with a little baby boy or girl that will change your world forever. It will change your life. I was thinking about waiting, and right after some things started opening up, right after um, COVID, everything was shut down, I was somewhere with Pam, and I realized that it was the end of August, beginning of September, and I'm looking around and I'm realizing... There's all this Christmas stuff out. It's like the end of August. Why is the Christmas stuff out? It seemed like it came out a lot earlier this year. Maybe maybe it, I'm crazy, but it seemed like it. Maybe it just comes out a little bit earlier and earlier every year. Maybe they thought we needed a boost as the pandemic wore on. But if you think about it, it's already October. In just a little bit, we're going to come up on a time when we as Americans will consume more than any other time in the year. At Christmas, we will spend, depending on what data you look at, somewhere between $450 billion and $1 trillion this year on Christmas. I mean, talk about waiting for something big. But I was thinking about that. You know, I remember as a child, waiting for Christmas, excited about Christmas, wondering what my gifts were going to be. And I realize it's a little early to talk about Christmas, but I want to talk about something much deeper than that. Because when I think about Christmas and I think about all the things that go on about Christmas and the commercialization of Christmas and how we can kind of fall into those traps, I wondered, how do we as a Christian, how do we as a church live as a redemptive presence in a culture that perpetuates an unhealthy relationship with money, possessions, and wealth, I heard a message back in December of 2018 by a preacher named uh, Darren Rosenzoin, who preaches out in Long Beach, California. And part of that message I've been thinking about ever since December 2018 because it really made me think about life and about what's important and what we do as Christians and how can we better influence our culture for Christ No judgment here, but I wonder what would happen if we saw things a little bit differently. If we saw things uh, from a different point of view. If we had a different perspective than the world has. Nothing is possibly more of a threat to our discipleship to Jesus than our money and our possessions. And I'm not standing up here this morning and telling you I have this all figured out because I don't. I don't have it figured out. But I'm beginning to see what God wants from me. At the risk of being offensive, though, let's talk about that for a few minutes. I want to stop right here and say the Marysville Christian Church didn't come to me and say, hey, Anthony, we need a beggar collection, so I want you to talk about money. That is not the point at all. They didn't ask. They just asked me if I'd speak. I'm choosing the topic. And the point isn't even about giving money. That's not the point of the lesson. But what if we went through Scripture and we believed that the way of Jesus was the best way for our lives? Most of us aren't very comfortable talking about money. Some of us get very uncomfortable when money is talked about. We talk about my money. We talk about my stuff. Pam and I were at a church one time that we had attended for quite a while. And the preacher got up that Sunday and he talked about money. And I thought he did a fantastic job talking about money and kind of trying to lead the congregation in a thought process that would help them be better stewards of what God had blessed them with. And as we went out to our car, we had to leave like right after the closing prayer that morning because we had somewhere to be. And we walked out and there was another guy who had gone there to church for a long time and his wife and he was angry and you could tell from his body language He was irritated, and he comes outside, and he's saying to his wife, no, it's nobody's business about my money. How dare he talk about my money? And he was just so angry, and he got in his sports car, convertible, which uh, was really nice, by the way, and he drove off angry about the fact that somebody would dare bring up the subject of money. But I would say as we live in this world that we live in, that capitalism and consumerism shapes us more than anything else. I think it shapes our culture. It shapes our politics. It shapes the things that we do. It shapes whether or not we're content or not. And I want to read some scriptures and let you decide. But I want to say first that Jesus talks about money more than any other subject in scripture except for the kingdom of God. So you got the kingdom of God, Number two is money. Number three is love. He talks about uh, money three times more than he does about love. And he talks about money seven times more than he talks about prayer. Fifteen percent of the Bible is talking about money and possessions. There are 457 separate passages, 220 references to our money and our possessions. The Bible makes it clear, I believe, that our spiritual lives are directly connected to how we manage or steward our money and possessions. I want to look at two passages this morning in Scripture and then give you one to go to maybe uh, think about throughout the week and talk about the implication of this point, that our spiritual lives are directly connected to how we manage or steward our money and possessions. The sub-point here is that God's blessings in our lives are definitely connected to how we deal with people that have needs. I should frame, we should frame our lives and our actions and how we treat people by how God has blessed us in our lives. Scripture should shape our worldview. In a world of divisiveness, You know, we live in a world where everybody wants to argue. Everybody wants to disagree. We have an election coming up. We've got all this divisiveness, divisiveness, but yet Scripture should shape our worldview. Scripture should shape how we treat each other. Scripture should should shape how we tell the truth. We should not look at the world and decide how to read Scripture. We should read Scripture and decide how we ought to interact with the world. And if you don't get anything else from today's lesson, you don't remember anything else, I would encourage you to remember that statement. We should not look at the world and decide how to read scripture because that's what we're doing in our world. Many are doing it that way. What we need to do is read scripture and decide how to interact with our world. If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24, Deuteronomy 24, God is going to is speaking to the people of God um, and it's interesting that Deuteronomy was written right before the children of Israel enter the promised land and right before they enter into a time of blessing and abundance because God provided for them there's some things they need to know there's some things they need to remember now if you'll remember the history they had spent 400 years in slavery. Um, And then God raised up. God heard their voice. The silence broke and he heard their voice. And God rose up Moses to deliver them. And they were going to the promised land, but they had to wander around for 40 years. They had to wander around for a whole generation because they were not obedient to God. But before they enter the promised land, right before they enter that expectation, that thing that they've been waiting for, the book of Deuteronomy says this. It says, remember these things. Remember when you go to have your own land, when you go to have enough money, when you go to get the job of your dreams, when you have money to store up for yourselves. Remember in the wilderness you were dependent on Yahweh. When you have an abundance Remember, you depended upon God. Let's read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 through 22. "Do do Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I commanded you to do this. He says, remember where you came from. And the reason I'm having you to remember these things is because you need to remember where you came from, so therefore you'll know how to treat other people. Verse 19, when you are harvesting in the field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Say that with me. The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. He says, so let the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from the trees, do not go over it a second time. Leave what remains to the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave the remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I commended you to do this. Again, he says, you were slaves in Egypt. Remember, In Egypt, we remember where you came from. That that saying, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, is something that's called a triad. And we see that throughout the, the Old Testament. We see that throughout Scripture. To describe the powerless, those without position, the weak, those who are vulnerable in the community. In verse 19, it's interesting. It says, So the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Blessing is connected to how we treat those who are vulnerable. How do we treat those who are vulnerable? That's the message here. And this is why they need to remember where they came from. He says, Do this because you were once powerless. You were once without land. You were once without resources. You were once in need, and God said, I met your needs. Why do it? So they could relate, so they could have sympathy, so they could have empathy for those who were vulnerable, those who didn't have what they had. He says, You receive grace, so be gracious. God blessed you, bless others. All of life is a gift. Scripture tells us all of life is a gift. We're not owners, we're managers, we're stewards of someone else's things, and that someone else is God. What God has extended to you, he says extend to others. As you read through scripture, you realize the Israelites got in trouble later on. After they entered the promised land, they set up their cities, they did their thing. They were very successful, um, but they weren't always obedient. And we realize that eventually they did the same things that they were, they, were, they were upset about when they were coming out. When they, when they cried out to God and he heard their cries and he delivered them from Egypt, They enslaved other people. They did the very things to other people that they wanted to get out of. Love the stranger. Share our things as if it is theirs. Perspective is everything. When Pam and I were a young married couple, we just moved to a small town in Northwest Ohio, and we were moving, and we'd met this young couple, a little older than us, but their name was Jill and Steve. And they were a fantastic couple. I would eventually have the, have the opportunity and, the, and, and the, just the, the great honor of baptizing both of them. But they had just gotten this brand new van. Now, this is when minivans were kind of a new thing. And they had this brand new van. You could take the seats out so you could have all that, that stuff back there. This is before you could put them down in the floor. And we were moving and... Steve said, hey, just use our van because we were trying to figure out how we were going to get something. Just use our van. And I, and I was like taken back because I'm like, that's your brand new van. You don't even have the sticker off of it yet. He's like, no, no, no. Just, just treat it like it is yours. That's a lesson that I have had a hard time learning over the years. I've had a hard time sharing some of my things. I'll share some of them, but I, I, I'm, just not, I'm not so sure about sharing some things. But I never will forget. He said, "Treat it like it was yours." And we used that van, and I remember being so careful not to, to get a scratch on the inside and make sure there didn't get any bumps on the outside. But I think I learned a lesson that day about what it means to really um, share what we have that God has blessed us with to bless other people. You know, as long as we're staying up with the Joneses, or the Kardashians, or whoever, um, we won't get where we need to be. But God says, remember where you came from. The world is constantly wanting us to be in a state of discontent. The world is constantly trying to get us not to be content. That's why Apple comes up with an iPhone every so often. That's why there's a new year, there's a new thing that you need to get, because you need to not be left behind your possessions but i would say for us as christians i don't want to spend too long on that but as long as our media intake is instagram pinterest and facebook and amazon every time we click on something that there's an artificial intelligence that's calculating and curating an algorithm to feed us into a loop of discontent i mean read about it check it out That's what it's for. And, you know, if you decide you want to get off, sometimes they'll throw something in there that you don't even like, that you don't even want to see, or you disagree with, because that'll keep you up on there a little bit longer. It's amazing what they can learn from you when you click here and you click there. They can determine who you're going to vote for, what your gender is. They can determine a whole slew of things just by what you click on. Now, imagine the enemy who's not artificial intelligence, curating your life to be anything other than who Jesus wants you to be. It's amazing sometimes when I go on Amazon, I've looked at something. Oh, guess what? There it is again. Oh, and there's some 14 just like it. And maybe you want to get it because you didn't get it last time. There is a way as Christians we need to live and Satan certainly doesn't want us to do that. And our world is not helping us along. And we would really do well to realize that. I don't often uh, recommend movies or documentaries, but there's a a new uh, movie on Netflix called uh, Social, Social Dilemma. And it talks about a lot of these things, how our world and our culture and how those who are in charge of technology are trying to take over our lives. And if you look around a restaurant, and you see the family sitting there and everybody's on their phone, you know they're doing a pretty good job. They're doing a pretty good job of helping us to be discontent. Another passage, when I think about waiting for a child, um, I remember waiting for our child and, and, and just all of the anxiety that comes with that, along with the excitement. Um, but at the end of Malachi, it was promised that there would be a Messiah coming. John the Baptist comes along, and he's a long-awaited prophet. There had been 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. The Jews were waiting 400 years, 14 generations, for the silence of God to be broken, waiting for a word from God, waiting for this prophet, this forerunner, to break the silence. Again, 400 years, just like Israelites were in slavery for 400 years. Now there's 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. Um, we have the end of Malachi, this promise that there will be a Messiah that's coming. But first there will be a messenger and his, he is going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then 400 years of silence. Then the messenger arrives and it's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. He's wild, exactly like we would, might expect. He's wearing camel hair. He's living in the wild. He's living off the land. He's almost like a wild man coming from all and, and people are coming all from all over to see this prophet. In Luke, you get his message, and maybe it's what you would expect initially in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. All these people are coming out to hear John the Baptist and what he has to say. Both Gentiles and Jews alike. They're coming out to the desert to see this John the Baptist and hear his message. And initially, it's exactly what you would expect. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And you do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So he says, the judgment is coming. The judgment is coming, and if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be like that tree that is chopped down and thrown into the fire. And he gets their attention because in verse 10, what do they say? What should we do then? The crowd's asking. I mean, they don't want to be chopped down. They don't want to be thrown into the fire. They don't want to have the judgment. And John answers, Get ready, because now the prophet is breaking the silence. They say, what should we do to avoid this? Verse 11, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. That's it? That's what we should do to get ready for the Messiah? I mean, they were probably expecting something a little more spiritual. 400 years of silence? And you tell me to share? I learned that in kindergarten. Even the tax collectors, the worst of the worst, they were hated and despised by their own people. Verse 12 and 13, And even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And what's he tell them? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then the Roman soldiers come. Talk about being despised by the Jews. I mean, they didn't like the tax collectors, but they really hated the Romans. So the Roman soldiers are there. And then some of the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he said, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. Okay, we're trying to get ready for the coming wrath. And you just gave us this image of an axe being at the base of a tree, uh, getting ready to be thrown in the fire. And the way we get ready, the way we prepare for the coming of the Messiah is to share, be generous, be honest, and be content. That's how you prepare for the Messiah. Why is that? Because our spiritual life is directly connected to how we manage our money and our possessions. And it seems that John the Baptist would even connect repentance with that same thing. He would connect repentance with that money and possessions. I mean, I would rather my spiritual life be compartmentalized. I would rather have my spiritual life separated from my material life. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I would rather give Jesus my prayer life and my sexuality, and certainly rather than my money, I would rather give Jesus my five-minute devotional from a small little devotional book um, than the rest of my time and let him manage the rest of my time and possessions. Let him manage my wallet and my bank accounts. But that's not what he came to do. Repentance means everything. It means rearranging our lives around Jesus. Rearranging everything around Jesus. Repentance means to change one's mind To change one's direction, it's about realigning our lives around the way of Jesus. He's Lord of everything. So everything in life has to shift and change. Relationships, finances, time, interest, passions, talents, hobbies, our dreams. John the Baptist broke the silence. And what he said to us is, you need to be people who are generous, honest, content. You need to be people that share. Hmm. Be honest, that means tell the truth. Be generous, that means to share my things. Be content, that means to stop looking at what I don't have so much that I can't even enjoy what I do have rearranging our life around Jesus I'd like to leave you with a passage in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 20 verse 24 because Jesus knew he had competition he knew things there were there was something that would be competing against what he wanted for our lives If you read through Matthew 6, 19 through 21 and 24 with me, and I would encourage you to look at this passage throughout the week and really kind of deep dive into what this means. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you drop down to verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I think the question for us is, do we own our stuff? Does our stuff own us? We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldorf Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838 email is office at